welcome to This Week in Video Games, episode 14. My name's Tom Kershaw, and this is a podcast all about the world of video games. This week, I'll look into the evolution of looter shooters, where they came from, what makes them great and not so great. I'll also go through my review of Heaven's Vault, a new open-world narrative adventure game. In the news this week, a US senator wants to introduce legislation against loot boxes in video games, Raising Kratos is a new God of War documentary, and that's been released, and more. So it's a packed episode this week. Let's begin. Welcome to the show, everyone. I hope you're well and you are having a good week. I'm good this week. Uh, Outside of video games, I've also been enjoying the football this week with uh, Liverpool coming back from 3-0 down against Barcelona over two legs. And then the night after, Spurs coming back from 2-0 down the night to win 3-2 and take the tie away goal, setting up an all-English Champions League final. So we've had some great comebacks in the Champions League this year, but the Spurs one really has to kind of top everything for me. The uh, the emotion that Pochettino, their manager, displayed after the game was great. He was in floods of tears uh, in interviews with uh, TV crews, which was which was incredible. Um, and yeah, it'll be interesting to see uh, who takes the final. Uh, we've also got the end of the Premier League today as well, with uh, Manchester City and Liverpool battling out for the Premier League title. So all Man City have to do is win over Brighton to clinch the league. Uh, however, I feel like we're going to have a few twists and turns just yet. So that's all playing out as I record the podcast, so we'll take a look at that next week. Otherwise, in my Game of Thrones board game with friends, that's been continuing and it looks like we're finally moving into the end game with Baratheon, Stark and Martell all poised for victory. So more often than not, these games have ended in round 7 or 8 and this one has gone to the wire in round 10, although I think the smart money is probably on Martell to take this one. Uh, Game of Thrones the TV show is also wrapping up next weekend and tonight we've got the big battle between Cersei and Danny in The Last War. So uh, Cersei looks like she's provoked Danny into burning down King's Landing last week but uh, just like the football I think we're in for a few twists and turns just yet. So I'm looking forward to the final battle tonight and hopefully we're going to get Clegane Bowl as well. Alrighty, so that's it for the non-gaming related activities this week. Let's move into what I've been playing this week. So this week I've mainly been playing through Heaven's Vault, Um, so we spoke to Joe Humphrey on the podcast on episode 8 about Heaven's Vault just before the release on PS4 and PC and I finally had the chance to sit down with the game properly this week and play through it and I have to say it's really really impressed me. It's unique, it's got an engaging story, interesting mechanics and uh, there's a few little surprises in there as well. So let's get into my review of Heaven's Vault. History is a science. It's the reconstruction of the past. I'm an archaeologist. I dig stuff up. Every ancient inscription I decipher is a piece of the puzzle. Every moon I sail to reveals a new path to explore. Every new discovery can change the story entirely. 
history belongs to everyone. It's how we know who we are. But will the story I put together be the truth? So Heaven's Vault, it's all about discovery. So this may be the discovery of a lost artefact, a temple, or perhaps even a moon lost in the mist in the depths of the nebula. It's about deciphering a lost language of the ancients, one hieroglyph at a time, as it takes you on a thrilling journey filled with twists and turns. So Heaven's Vault is a new open-world adventure narrative game from Inkle Studios. You take on the role of Elia Alazra and our robot sidekick Six as they explore the nebula, searching for clues and trying to prevent the same disasters of the past. Discover lost sites, explore ancient ruins and translate inscriptions to help piece together the puzzles and understand what is coming. So as we meet Elia, we're on Iox, which is at the centre of the nebula. All rivers run to Iox, Elia says during the game, as it's a place where academics and scholars gather to unravel the mysteries of the past. We start outside the university on Iox, and we're called in to meet our mentor and sent out on a quest to find a missing person who's made a significant discovery on a nearby moon. What he discovered is a mystery, but it could have wide-reaching implications for everyone on Iox. Elia is an archaeologist who has a passion for treasures of the past. And there's a couple of mechanics in the game that accompany Elias' passion, deciphering an entire hieroglyphic language and our timeline. So as we travel around the nebula discovering statues, treasures and secrets, we encounter inscriptions. It's our job to decipher this hieroglyphic language. So every word has a meaning and the translations we choose feed back into the story. However, as players, we're never sure that we've got something correct until we verify it a few times. At first, we only have knowledge of a few words in our dictionary of the ancient. However, as we progress through the game, we become more sure of translations as we find words and characters which are similar and confirm our previous predictions. Sometimes we find phrases and sentences we don't have any clues for and they're stored up until later. And as we go, we build up more and more words, allowing us players to translate more complex hieroglyphics. Uncovering the stories of the past is unique, and the care and attention to this language development is really, really clear. Our timeline mechanic allows us to look back on events from the short, medium and long-term past, from a few minutes ago to a few years ago. Each event is recorded as we go, which allows us players to delve back into the rich lore of the game as we choose. However, it's not mandatory, and it's there if you want to kind of delve in. Aiding the sense of discovery is sailing the nebula. Rather than a modern spaceship with a talking AI like we see in other games, this is more like a ship sailing on the high seas carved from wood. As you sail through the nebula, you find more lost treasure or even new lost sights in the mist. At one point I dropped onto a moon where the winds were raging. Elia could hardly make her way through without her lungs getting full of sand. I turned a corner to find a beautiful temple. I won't give away too many story details, but the sensation of discovery in this game is fantastic feeling. And if you give it the time, it will reward you back with some wonderful experiences. Since the game's released, Inkle have released a patch which allows you to hand over the controls to Six on your ship to fast travel to a location where you've been before, which is a really nice improvement. As you travel throughout the moons, planets and cities of this world, you meet an interesting cast of characters. 
some selling or trading or some old friends. You meet characters deeply suspicious of Ioxians, um, but characters also want to help you on your quest. And there's a sense of a class divide which reflects our own world and has been carefully captured in this game. The game is slow and methodical, but that's not a criticism. It's a refreshing outlook on an adventure of discovery. I've not played a game like Heaven's Vault before where the focus on language is so front and centre. It's certainly unique, and if you're interested in the trailer for the game, then I recommend picking it up. As you progress through the game, there's spine-tingling moments of discovery, and often you don't know the intent of your sidekick Six as he keeps you guessing. Overall, I'd recommend Heaven's Vault to anyone who enjoys adventure games. Rather than going in all guns blazing, this is a game about learning, discovery and taking your time. There's memorable moments in the game and Heaven's Vault offers you something a little different from the rest of the games out there. So Heaven's Vault, it was developed by Inkle Studios. Um, it's been released on PC and PS4 and the release date was April the 16th, 2019. And overall, we gave the game a 76. Okay, so that's it for what I've been playing this week. Next, let's move into the evolution of Looter Shooters. So Looter Shooters have been around for some time now and there's been some high profile launches and flops in recent years. They provided me personally with some of the best gaming moments that I can remember. So I thought I'd take this opportunity to have a look at the evolution of the Looter Shooter. So Looter Shooters, it's a hybrid of a shooter and MMO games with classes, levelling up, grinding and randomised loot. Now, if you've been hiding under a rock, that sentence may look a little bit odd and unrecognisable. So shooters can be defined as first or third person gun based games. Some notable examples could include Goldeneye, Halo, Gears of War or Doom. And we've got MMOs as well. They're massively multiplayer online games where you create a character or a class. You level them up, gather gear and weapons and work together to bring down a huge boss or explore the game as a team. Grinding describes the repetition of a single activity, albeit with a kind of slight variation. Finally, randomised loot is exactly as described. You progress through the game, you get loot which over time gets more and more powerful. And it's also good for hooking players into the gameplay loop and provides an incentive to come back for more. All of this adds up to great loot and showing this off to your teammates and competitors in PvE, which is player versus environment, or PvP, which is player versus player. And the more elaborate the weapons and armour, the harder you've grinded to get it, or maybe that was just random luck. So back in the 2000s, there were a number of great shooters, including Halo, Call of Duty and Gears of War. And the standard model for these games was a story mode with online PvP. 
However, as online elements became more available in these games, they opened up the genre to more player versus environment options. Teams and clans could team up in larger numbers and take on enemies together rather than against each other. So infrastructure, internet speeds and servers improving, allowing for more complex battles in greater numbers. So World of Warcraft was a worldwide phenomenon at the time and it had evolved gameplay including character classes, open world exploration, skill trees and loot. So game developers that were playing MMOs as kids and teens started developing games themselves and started to combine elements of both shooters and MMOs into the player experience. So together with games like Diablo 2, Path of Exile, which introduced random weapons and armour, and chasing numbers, all the elements were there to be put together. So first of all, let's take a look at some of the notable games in the looter-shooters genre. First up, we've got Tabula Rasa, which is back in 2007. So Tabula Rasa is an MMO RPG developed by Destination Games. And it was released on November the 2nd, 2007, and tells the story of humanity's last stand against an alien race called the Bane. So this story takes place in the near future on two planets, Arieki and Phoreas. The gameplay mixed some aspects of shooters and also RPG elements. There were missions, story, character creation, a dynamic battlefield and PvP, and the game was supposed to be a World of Warcraft killer. Unfortunately, it didn't work out for the game, but it did lay the foundations for things to come. Next up, we've got Hellgate London, and that also came out in 2007. So Hellgate London is a dark fantasy action RPG developed by Flagship Studios, originally released on 31st of October 2007. It was developed by former Blizzard employees who had previously worked on Diablo. So the game is set in a post-apocalyptic London 2038 and is a fast hack-and-slash game. There's random elements such as weapons and armour, loot drops and random enemy spawns. And the game had a single player and online multiplayer features as well. However, over time the multiplayer features had been shut down in the US and Europe. The single player game features a 5 act story unlocking a new hard mode on completion. The developer T3 Entertainment and publisher Hambitsoft bought the game from Flagship Studios in 2010 and relaunched it in 2011. They relaunched it again in 2014 with a Tokyo expansion and it launched Hellgate Tokyo back from the dead version in November 2018. Okay, so next up we've got Borderlands, and that was originally released in 2009. So Borderlands is a sci-fi first-person shooter with RPG elements created by Gearbox Software and originally released on PlayStation 3, Xbox 360, PC and Mac. The game was revealed in 2007 and released in October 2009. So Borderlands features four-player drop-in, drop-out, co-op, online multiplayer, as well as having a single-player story mode. The main gameplay revolves around first-person shooting elements and players have access to a wealth of weapons and enemies to fight. Players also have access to customizable vehicles which add to the action. Players play through a ton of missions with 127 in total, 47 main missions and 80 side quests. Each mission has its own rewards such as a weapon, item or revealing a new piece of the story. Random elements were introduced into the game, including a gun generator similar to Diablo's random item system. So this new system generates over 17 million weapons. The system randomises the guns by changing all kinds of attributes, including the barrel, bullets, 
scopes, materials and elemental damage. There's four character classes, each with skills, abilities and their own story. As the characters level up, they gain experience points, or XP, including health and accuracy. So each character also has three skill trees to work on, and uh, classes include the Berserker, Siren, Hunter and the Soldier. So Borderlands 2 released in 2012, and Borderlands 3 is set for release in September 2019. And if you want to know more about Borderlands 3, check out episode 13 of the podcast. So next up, we've got Warframe, which was introduced in 2013. So Warframe is a free-to-play third-person shooter RPG developed by Digital Extremes. And it was originally released March 2013 on PC, although it was later ported to PlayStation 4, Xbox One and Nintendo Switch. So players take on members of the Tenno, a race of ancient warriors who have awoken from centuries of cryosleep to find themselves at war with different factions. The Tenno wear warframes, which are like exosuits, and combine weapons and abilities to take on their enemies. Many of the game's levels are procedurally generated, however recent updates have included an open world area to explore and take on opponents. And some story missions are self-contained that don't use that procedural generation. Missions can be played alone or with up to four players in a player versus environment co-op way, and each mission is given a ranking indication on how hard the mission is. As players complete missions, experience is gained and you can level up your Warframe through better weapons and mods. Mods can be slotted onto your Warframe to change the attributes through bonuses and abilities. The standout feature, however, of Warframe is that it's free to play, and it has been since day one. It's also managed to avoid many of the pay-to-win elements in other games, as everything can be acquired through gameplay. You can choose to buy these items if you want them immediately. However, loot isn't behind a paywall and is obtainable if you want to grind for it. Initial reviews were mixed or average. However, over the years the community has grown. Digital extremes have added some great content. Now is a great time to jump into the game, as it has a huge depth and fantastic gameplay loops. So next up we've got Destiny, originally released in 2014. So Destiny is a first-person shared world shooter from Bungie, the same studio that brought us the Halo series. Having perfected Halo and then selling that IP to Microsoft, Bungie went on to create their next big thing. So Destiny is the story of Guardians, the protectors of Earth, wielding a great power called the Light. The game is set in our solar system and it's full of alien races such as the Vex, the Fallen, the Cabal, and the Hive. And Guardians can be one of three classes. You've got Titans, Hunters, and Warlocks. So Titans are kind of the tank of the group, whereas Hunters are sleek and fast, and Warlocks are the kind of space wizards. Destiny has a number of open shared world arenas where players can team up and take on different enemy races on different planets. Earth, Mars, Venus, Mercury, and the Moon are all playable spaces in the original Destiny. So gameplay in the game is split between PvP and PvE game modes. So traditional PvP owes much to Halo and is a quick action style of play. PvE comes in a number of forms, from strikes, where teams of three can team up and take on a mission, public events that take place at random in the shared world, and then there's raids for up to six players. So raids are seen as the pinnacle of the challenge in Destiny content, often taking teams hours to complete for the first time. 
Destiny's had a number of DLC expansions, including The Dark Below in December 2014, The Taken King in September 2015, and The Rise of Iron in September 2016. And the Taken King was seen as a huge shake-up and one of the most successful expansions in Destiny's history. This introduced the Taken, a new enemy race, and a fantastic new raid featuring Oryx, the Taken King himself, and the father of Crota. Destiny 2 released in September 2017, initially to much fanfare, and then was critically panned for being shallow, and many of the elements that made Destiny great were stripped out, catering to the casual player. This led to a backlash from the hardcore community, leading to many of the original elements being put back in the game in September 2018 for the Forsaken update. Destiny features the great gunplay that Bungie is known for. However, it also features some of the richest lore in video games, leading to many YouTubers and streamers dedicating their working lives chronicling the journey of Destiny the game. And if you want to get up to speed on Destiny, do check out My Name is Bife, and he's got a YouTube channel, and he does some really excellent lore videos. Destiny is my personal favourite looter shooter and I must have sunk about 800 hours into the game to date. So next up we got The Division and that was released in 2016. So The Division is an action role playing game from Massive Entertainment originally released in 2016 by Ubisoft and it takes place in the near future in New York after a virus had been released onto the public. The player takes control of a Division agent tasked with taking back and rebuilding Manhattan. The Division is a third-person cover shooter in contrast to other games in the looter-shooter genre. Initially, the reviews for the game were generally positive. However, it faced issues in the endgame with a severe lack of content. Players can play through the story missions as well as the PvP-focused Dark Zones where players can team up and take on roaming packs of opponents. Much like other entries in the series, players can level up their character collection weapons and armour and upgrade their agent. The developers continued to work with this and listened to the community and released a huge 1.8 update to the game which was widely seen to fix the game. The Division 2 was released on March 9th 2019 to great reviews with many seeing this entry as the new bar others have to aim for in the looter shooter genre. And finally we've got Anthem which was released in 2019. So Anthem is Bioware's effort and latest new IP in the looter shooter story. Bioware have a legendary status among players with games like Star Wars, Knights of the Old Republic, Mass Effect and Dragon Age. So Anthem is a third person shooter with RPG elements and you can take control of your freelancer in a fully customisable exosuit called a javelin. Each suit can be personalised to have unique weapons and superhuman abilities. So flying is one of the unique selling points of Anthem. You take to the skies flying through ravines, waterfalls and underwater. Weapons in Anthem range from pistols, scout rifles, automatic weapons, shotguns and snipers too. And combined with the weapons, each javelin has a number of abilities including rockets, grenades, shields and elemental attacks. Javelins also have ultimate abilities allowing them to attack and destroy groups of enemies and deal major damage to bosses. The central hub for players in the game is Fort Tarsis. This is where you meet other NPCs, customise your javelin through the forge and pick up quests. And here there's daily, weekly and monthly contracts to pick up as a freelancer. So Anthem received a huge marketing push in the build up to release, but has since fallen foul of many of the trappings of the genre. 
The game was seen to be shallow at launch, with n- not really much content in the game. The story ends abruptly, and critically, hasn't really gone down too well at all. Bioware have promised to continue working on the game, but it remains to be seen if they'll be able to turn this one around. There's some examples of uh, looter-shooter games out there in the genre. Let's have a look at good things about the looter-shooter genre. So looter-shooters have provided me with some of the best gaming moments I can remember. The first time I went through the vault of glass with a random team, or we took down Oryx, or when I first got Icebreaker, or Galahorn, or Vex Mythoclast. Through these games I've met friends, I've been introduced to new communities, and even discovered Twitch through streamers like King Gathalion, Professor Broman, and T-Rex. So someone at Bungie jokingly said that the true endgame was the friend game, although this was said in defence of a shallow destiny too, it's actually true. So many confess to meeting some of their best friends online through looter shooter games. The storytelling as well, and the rich lore behind games like Destiny and Warframe are legendary, with hundreds of lore videos created on YouTube, with millions of subscribers on Twitch and Twitter and other social platforms too. The games are often always online, meaning an ever-changing landscape, other players popping in and out of the games, leading to random moments and new possibilities. So games used to be on a linear path. You'd do X and Y and then go to Z to complete the objective and then move on to a boss. These games are more open, less linear, and they provide the foundation for great stories and for players to forge their own path. So Games as a Service is going to go into the good category here, as the idea of dropping an initial release, and then the game being constantly updated and improved over time with more story, more loot, more environments, is akin to the idea of product development in the software space, where you release an MVP and then iterate over time with richer features. However, there are drawbacks to this approach, which we're going to discuss in a moment. So that's the good of looter shooters. Let's go into the not-so-good. So these games, they're plagued with developmental problems. So notably the games in the category include Destiny and the more recent Anthem with its turbulent development cycles. The development of Destiny has been documented by Jason Schreier and is featured in his book Blood, Sweat and Pixels. And if you haven't read or um, listened to an audio version of that book, I definitely recommend picking that one up right now. So recently, a similar story has been told of Anthem as well, again by Jason Schreier, which tells the tale of a game coming together in the last 16 months of development, with a whole bunch of stress and anguish at Bioware. The Division was also released with much hype and failed to live up to expectation, and Warframe also started really slow too. However, Warframe was free to play. It seems many companies are set out on a mission to create a grand vision, and then somewhere along the line that vision is diluted, and diluted some more, eventually releasing a much more basic version of what was originally intended. Often months of patches, bug fixing and content drops follow these rocky launches, with some games succeeding and some just fading away into the distance. Together with these tough launches often follows a content drought. The game launches and feels empty and shallow to the audience. New content is eaten up by the audience at an exponential rate, often being completed within days leading to long content droughts for the hungry audience. These content droughts have led players to leave the game for sometimes short spells, but this can also lead to them falling off the game completely. Finally, there's in-game monetization and loot boxes. Many of these games feature gambling-like features, such as loot boxes where you buy a box that contains a random item with a chance to get what you want. A good example was a seasonal event in the original Destiny called Festa of the Lost, 
or nicknamed Festival of the Cost, where you purchase loot boxes for a chance of getting a unique ghost, which is a kind of companion item in the game. Destiny, however, since listened to their community and really trimmed back on the loot box features in Destiny. However, these systems are still in place in many games and do hook people into spending potentially a lot of money in their ecosystem. You could argue that the business model for these live service games has to have these features as they're not releasing a major game each year and the developer is a business and needs to make money to fund their next expansion or their new game. So in summary, there's pros and cons to these games. However, my overriding feeling towards them is definitely a positive one rather than a negative one. The friendships I've made, the gaming experiences we've had together, and of course, the loot that's dropped. (laughs) So if you haven't tried loot issues, the genre is maturing and there's some great games to go out there and play, including The Division 2, Destiny 2, and Warframe. There's so much more that could be said about looter shooters. These games are big, have great depth, and many are live service games. They're constantly being updated and are living, breathing worlds with deep lore and fascinating characters. I can't recommend them enough. So that's it for my roundup of looter shooter games. Uh, let me know if you like looter shooter games. Uh, email me at podcast at thisweekinvideogames.com. I want to find out what's your favourite looter shooter, when did you start playing them, and if you want to share some of your looting and shooting stories with me, then we'll read them out on the podcast. Okay, so that's it for looter shooter games. Next up, let's take a look at the news. So first up in the news this week, we've got news of a US senator who wants to ban loot boxes in games. So Senator Josh Hawley announced on Wednesday his plans to introduce legislation to ban loot boxes and practices that prey on the addictions of users. He aims to ban the exploitation of children through pay-to-win loot boxes and other practices in the video games industry. So Belgium and the Netherlands have both introduced similar legislation here in Europe to ban loot boxes. However, this is the first time such a proposal has been put forward in the United States. So Senator Hawley said, Social media and video games prey on the addiction of users, siphoning our kids' attention from the real world and extracting profits from fostering compulsive habits. No matter this business model's advantage to the tech industry, one thing is clear, there's no excuse for exploiting children through such practices. When a game is designed for kids, game developers shouldn't be allowed to monetize addiction. And when kids play games designed for adults, they should be walled off from the compulsive microtransactions. Game developers who knowingly exploit children should face legal consequences. So Hawley's website cites two specific examples of abusive practices. So first up, he's got pay-to-win. So pay-to-win games take two forms. In some cases, designers engineer games with artificial difficulty curves to induce players to spend money on upgrades to simplify progress. These games are often offered for free, enticing players to download and even offering them a full sense of progression upon initial download before artificially increasing the difficulty to induce compulsive purchases. In other cases, designers create multiplayer games offering players who purchase paid upgrades competitive advantages over other players. And also, there's loot boxes as well. So loot boxes offer players randomised rewards for spending money, combining the addictive properties of pay-to-win with the compulsive behaviour inherent in other forms of gambling. Uh, 
So this is really good to see. Uh, I know there's been a huge uproar uh, in loot boxes or f about loot boxes in video games over the past couple of years. Uh, really kicked off with Star Wars Battlefront 2 uh, a couple of years ago now. And um, yeah, as we've seen in Europe with Belgium and uh, Holland, uh, they've introduced legislation to ban these practices. So it's really good to see that uh, in America they're going to do something similar. Okay, so next up in the news, we've got Outbreak Prime is a secret quest in Destiny 2. So this is a nicely timed update from Destiny 2 following on our look at uh, the evolution of looter shooters. Uh, so this past Tuesday, Destiny 2 received an update 2.2.2 and it looked like we got more than we bargained for and Destiny secret hunters kicked into gear. As well as the regular updates and the patch notes, the clever folks there on the internet noticed some other classified items had also been added into the game. So there was a masterwork objective completion icon which really gave the game away. Outbreak Prime is back. So if you're a fan of Destiny, then you know that these are the most exciting times in the community. So the quest, it starts with obtaining a fallen transponder in a heroic adventure on Titan called Bad Neighbours. And in the first room with the Shrieker, rather than going ahead in that room, you turn left and open the door. So once you obtain the fallen transponder in the secret room, you have to collect the nodes. And there's six nodes to collect. The description reads, A fallen global positioning transponder, jury-rigged for operation by human hands. Its encrypted interface seems to require locational data. Beyond that, your ghost can find nothing remarkable about this device except a, except a brief plain text message embedded in its header files. So once you find the six nodes, you head back to the farm and you unlock a new 690 mission called the Old Tower. Once you complete the mission, you'll be rewarded with a new Outbreak Prime, or in Destiny 2, it's come back as Outbreak Perfected. So Outbreak Prime was the raid weapon from Destiny 1 from Wrath of the Machine. It's a unique exotic pulse rifle that's powered by Seaver nanites. And it can only be obtained through a complex questline called Channeling the Corruption. So Jason Schreier and Kirk Hamilton did a great podcast entitled The Secret Hunters of Destiny, uh, which is an excellent listen, so I definitely recommend if you go out there and search The Secret Hunters of Destiny podcast, uh, or you can find that in Kotaku's feed. Um, yeah, go and check that out for the rundown of Secrets and Destiny, uh, and that includes the original Outbreak Prime. Uh, you can also check out more on uh, Raid Secrets over on Reddit, which is a great resource for Secret Hunters. Okay, so next up, Uniqlo here in the UK is selling a Street Fighter 2 collection. So Uniqlo has partnered with Capcom to bring their Street Fighter 2 collection to UK high streets. And the range includes t-shirts from Ryu, Blanca, E-Honda, M. Bison, Kami, Guile and Dalsim. Uh, one of the best features, uh, Ryu, Ken and Saga all doing a dragon punch together, which looks really cool. And Uniqlo say about the range, Celebrate the continuing legacy of legendary fighting video game Street Fighter by Capcom. Originally debuting in arcades in 1987, the franchise went on to achieve global popularity with a series of revolutionary games, making history today as one of the most influential video game franchises of all time. So you can check out the full range on Uniqlo's website, and if you're in the UK and you have a Uniqlo near you, um, I recommend going in there and uh, picking one of them up. And this follows on from their previous The Game collection, which featured Nintendo characters. Okay, so next up in the news, EA Access is coming to PlayStation. 
So EA and Sony have announced EA's subscription service is coming to PlayStation on July 4th, 2019. EA Access is a subscription service that allows gamers to play EA games such as FIFA, The Sims, Anthem, Star Wars Battlefront, Titanfall 2 and many, many more. And EA Access customers also get 10 days early access to games before the main release, as we saw with Anthem earlier this year. So previously the service had been exclusive to Xbox One, with a similar service on PC called Origin Access. Sony didn't want to allow access on its platform, saying it didn't believe the service was good value for its customers. However, it seems now that Sony and EA have struck a deal, which is going to bring EA access to PlayStation for the first time, starting on July 4th, 2019. The service is likely to cost the same as about £4 or $5 per month, or approximately £25 or $30 per year. And EA recently announced Jedi Fallen Order gameplay is going to be shown at EA Play this June, and I would imagine Jedi Fallen Order will likely come to EA's subscription service later in the year. So next up, Xbox outlined new community standards. Microsoft have released a new community standards document with examples of how to treat each other online. So the standards document outlines some of the best practices, but also acts as a warning to players who abuse each other. So Xbox say, We built Xbox Live for people like you. For players from all walks of life, everywhere in the world, who all want the same thing, a place to play and have fun. We need your help keeping Xbox Online community safe and fun for everyone. So the document goes into a fair amount of detail in what is and is not acceptable behaviour to one another online. And Microsoft outlined their thoughts regarding trash talk. We get it. Gaming can be competitive and interactions with other players can get heated. A little trash talk is an expected part of competitive multiplayer action, and that's not a bad thing. But hate has no place here. And what's not okay is when trash talk turns into harassment. So Microsoft outlined what they think is acceptable trash talk, and that includes, that was some serious potato aim, get wrecked, or cheap win, come at me when you can actually drive without running some cars off the road. Or, that sucked. Get good, and then come back when your KD's over one. So, okay, thank you, Microsoft. But going too far looks like, get sexual threat in brackets. Can't believe you thought on my level. Hey, profanity, that was some serious potato aim. Get wrecked, trash. And also, cheat win, totally expected from a racial slur. Or, you suck, get out of my country. Maybe they'll let you back in when your KD's over one. So pretty clear stuff there from Microsoft. And uh, Microsoft have also made it very clear that there are going to be consequences if players don't adhere to the guidelines by saying, our priority is the safety and enjoyment of everyone on Xbox Live. Content and behaviour that puts players at risk or makes them feel unwelcome have no place in the Xbox online community. So sometimes we need to step in. We're not out to punish, but we're out to protect everyone's experience. So overall... It's a nice touch from Microsoft and it sets some clear ground rules for everyone to follow. Okay, next up, Jedi Fallen Order gameplay is at EA Play. And Respawn confirmed this week that Jedi Fallen Order gameplay is going to be shown at this year's E3 event, EA Play, which is going to be held in on June the 7th, 2019. So Jedi Fallen Order is going to be a single player game with no microtransactions which seems to be a popular promotional line for games these days. And Respawn and EA teased us last month with a reveal trailer. 
So if you want to check out the trailer for that game, go to thisweekinvideogames.com and search Jedi Fallen Order and you'll find the trailer for the game. Okay, so next up we've got news of Raising Kratos and the God of War documentary Raising Kratos is now available for free. So it's a full-length um, feature documentary coming in at about 1 hours 55 minutes and it's available to watch uh, online for free right now. So if you go to thisweekinvideogames.com and you search Raising Kratos, you'll find that uh, full documentary. So Sony's behind-the-scenes documentary focuses on developer Sony Santa Monica Studios and the huge risk with the God of War reboot. And it follows the studio on their five-year journey creating an award-winning game. So Sony said about the documentary, this full-length feature documentary is an exploration into the massive undertaking it took to change the course of the God of War franchise. More importantly, this is the first time PlayStation took a chance in telling a story about the people who created, the, who created this work of art. With clips and interviews chosen from hundreds of hours of footage captured during the production of the game, we hope you'll enjoy the cinematic journey of second chances rooted in family, sacrifice, struggle, doubt and ultimately triumph. It's a great watch and it gives some fantastic info into what goes into creating a AAA game today. You should really, really check it out. You know, I sat down and watched it last night and um, it goes into quite a lot of detail about how... And Sony Santa Monica Studios will work. They moved office from one office to another, and uh, they gave up their their environment that they you know they felt like they had quite a lot of success in, and they moved to a new office because Sony wanted to invest in them. Uh, they they were kind of pretty. I think it was thirty um, thirty months, thirty six months maybe into development of a new IP, and a lot of people had come on board to work on that IP, and then things got shifted around in the studio to uh, reboot uh, the God of War series. And, yeah, it shows uh, Corey Barlog kind of coming back to the company and uh, transforming Kratos from what he was, you know, this angry kind of shouty dude into the kind of father um, and protective figure that we see in the most recent God of War. Um, it's a really, really, really good documentary. I really recommend it, and it's, it's free as well, so there's absolutely no excuse um, so go to thisweekinvideogames.com uh, and yeah, search Raising Kratos and you should find that God of War documentary. So yeah, I hope you enjoy that. And finally in the news this week, Dead Cells, uh, the smash hit, is coming to mobile. Uh, so the roguelike Dead Cells is coming to iOS and Android this summer. Uh, with developer Motion Twin made the announcement via Twitter earlier in the week. So Dead Cells is currently available for Xbox One, PlayStation 4, Switch and PC and it captured the audience's imagination last year and featured in many top games of 2018 lists. So the game mixes a slash em up and platformer mechanics with procedurally generated levels. So the game is going to be coming to iPhone and iPad first with an Android version going to be released later on in the year. And uh, you can check out the mobile release trailer on thisweekinvideogames.com. If you go to the website and search Dead Cells, you should be able to find that trailer. Okay, so that's it for the news this week. Next up, let's have a look at the charts. Okay, so this week at number 10, we've got Anthem, which rises two places from number 12. Then at number 9, we've got Forza Horizon 4. That's down one place from 8 to 9. Then in at 8, we've got Tom Clancy's The Division 2. That's down three places from number 5. Then at number 7, up two places from number 9, we've got new Super Mario Bros. U Deluxe. 
Holding steady at number six, we've got Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, which I think will be in the top ten forever. <laughs> then at number five, coming back into the top ten, we've got Grand Theft Auto 5. Holding steady at number four, we've got Red Dead Redemption 2. And then holding steady then again at number three is FIFA 19. Mortal Kombat 11 is at number two, which it came in as a new entry last week. And still at number one this week, we've got Days Gone. So that's it for the charts this week. Let's have a look at what we've got coming up next week. So next week, uh, we've got a few games coming out on May the 14th. We've got Darkwood coming out on PS4. We've got A Plague Tale Innocence coming out on PC, PS4 and Xbox One. We've also got Rage 2, that's coming out on PC, PS4 and Xbox One as well. And we've got Rock of Ages 2, Bigger and Bolder, that's coming out on Switch. On May the 15th, we've got Technosphere Reload, that's coming out on PC. And then we've got a whole load of games coming out on May the 16th. So we've got Busby, Pause on Fire, that's coming out to uh, PC, PS4 and Nintendo Switch. We've got Castlevania Anniversary Collection, which we mentioned last week in the news. That's coming out on PC, PS4, Xbox One and Switch, so the uh, whole kit and caboodle. Um, We've got Dark Future, Blood Red States, that's coming out on PC. And we've got Darkwood, that's coming out on Nintendo Switch. And we've got Project Nimbus, uh, the complete edition, that's coming out on Switch as well. And finally on May 16th, we've got Tabletop Gods, that's coming out on PC. Next up on uh, May 17th, we've got Darkwood, that's coming out on Xbox. And we've got Guilty Gear, coming out on PS4 and Switch. And we've got Guilty Gear 20th Anniversary Edition, that's coming out on Switch. And finally, Guilty Gear XX Accent Core Plus R, that's coming out on Switch as well. So it looks like we've got a whole load of Guilty Gear coming out on Switch next week. So that's it for coming out next week. So looks like Rage 2 is coming out next week. That's going to be quite good fun. Castlevania Anniversary Collection as well. That's going to be really, really, really good too. So yeah, let me know. Let me know what you're playing and what you're planning on playing. Send your emails to podcast at thisweekinvideogames.com and uh, let me know what you're looking out for next week. So that's it for this week's episode. So if you want to get involved in the show, do email us at podcast at thisweekinvideogames.com or check out the latest on the website. Uh, you can send in your questions and your comments and your video game stories. I'm always interested in hearing from you. I'm also available on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube and Instagram. So search This Week in Video Games on your favourite platform and join in that conversation. And if you'd like to support the show, then I've opened up a Patreon page, which you can find on patreon.com forward slash This Week in Video Games, where you can support the show. So you get access to new community features, newsletters and exclu- for exclusive members and, for exclusive members, bonus podcast episodes. So if you want to support the show, please do go and sign up there. So thank you once again for hanging out with me and chatting about video games. I hope you have a good week, and I'll talk to you next weekend. So with that, I'll see you soon.